We'll continue our reading in Acts chapter 5. So I'll be reading from verse 12 to 42. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at last, at least, Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assemble of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with a guard standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, Consider carefully what you intend to do to this man. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, 
all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin uh, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is God's word. Christina, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for reading. Let me have my welcome if we've not met. Uh, my name's Matt. Be lovely to do so at some point. But uh, uh, first, we've got this work to do. We've got some work to do. Look at this. Um, well, it's a, I think it's a comedic story. It's bravery, but uh, a comedic story in, in some senses. And I hope we'll get the sense of that. Uh, and it does as much good. Let's pray that it would. Let's pray as we begin. Our great God and Father, we thank you that uh, these early apostles, they had your words, the word of eternal life. They had your spirit within them and they were bold. And so we pray this morning that uh, by your word, uh, your spirit would do his work and encourage within us boldness to speak of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Now, we've been saying that the book of Acts, then, is a book written, designed to uh, give us confidence. To give us confidence that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will grow. It will grow. Uh, It doesn't always seem that way. There seems plenty of obstacles, but it will grow, and you just can't stop it. So last time, despite corruption amongst some within the church leadership, well, that gets dealt with, and and the kingdom grows. And here again, we come in chapter 5 to more persecution, hostility. But despite that, the kingdom of Jesus Christ will grow. And in these early chapters, the, the church is, well, we see it repeatedly sort of clashing with uh, the political authorities, or the religious authorities. And it looks like a bit of a mismatch. You've got on one hand 12 disciples, and on the other hand you've got the whole of the state, the political religious establishment of a nation. So it looks like a bit of a mismatch. You know, it's... You've got 12 men sort of on horseback with swords versus the might of the U.S. military in the 21st century. It's a bit of a mismatch. And yet, repeatedly it's shown that the mighty establishment can do nothing to stop the message of these 12 going out. The establishment is feeble in the face of God's people speaking God's word in the power of God's spirit. So this may or may not be of any use to you, but uh, as I've been daydreaming on it this week, I've had uh, this sort of image in my head. It is very impressive, enormous elephant, terrified by this tiny, tiny little mouse. So that's kind of what's going on here. The whole of the the, the establishment is in 
fear because of this just small group and their message. And it's still the case today. The, the national papers uh, carried a couple of months ago. Uh, it was in the in the Times, uh, just in the, the World News. The little account. I don't know how it made it in there, but a little account of Ma Hui Choi, a Chinese lady who was in prison for three years because she held a Bible study in her house. So uh, the police uh, raided and they charged her with threatening to disturb public order. What was she doing? It was this woman, uh, Ma Huecho, and four other women. Five of them having a Bible study. And yet the police raided their house and put them in prison for three years. For a th- What are you so scared of? And yet in that regime, I guess with its desire for absolute control, this group, just only five on this particular occasion, saying, we're having a Bible study. I don't care if you think it's legal or not. We're just studying God's word. They found that terrifying. So what we see really in this story is that in the face of fearless Christians, hostile powers are feeble. And it's a message the church needs to know around the world. It was in the Independent newspaper last week. Uh, do you see this? Various uh, buildings in London were lit up red. It's meant to be some focus on uh, persecuted Christians around the world. It's barely made the news. But the Independent reported that Christians are discriminated against in 139 countries in the world. So, 75% roughly. You will suffer either crushing, forceful persecution or marginalization. So you need to know that. Of course, it's much milder in the UK. Uh, but I guess you'd want to observe that perhaps there's a little bit of a shift uh, in our culture. Whereas probably 30 years ago, most of the media certainly would have dismissed Christians as sort of silly, harmless do-gooders. I mean, silly people believing what they believe, those silly Christians. But they're, you know, they're sort of harmless do-gooders. Let them do their good. Uh, now, perhaps Christians are do-badders. Uh, we don't like, stop them. Don't let Dan Walker present the news on BBC. We mustn't let him present the news. It was a big campaign because he's a Christian and therefore he's an idiot. So we can't have an idiot presenting the news. So there's a shift. But Luke wants us to see that despite any apparent power the state, the establishment, leaders may have, in the face of fearless Christians, they're feeble, very timid. So let's look at it in that sense. We're going to look at uh, feeble leaders, fearless apostles, very briefly Gamaliel, uh, and then we'll come back to the apostles really. But it's the contrast between the feeble leaders and the fearless apostles that really dominates the story. Let's take them in turn then. There's feeble leaders in verses 17 to 28. Even if you just sort of went through an overview, the sort of emotions the, uh, the, the, the elite are displaying. Verse 17, they're jealous. Verse 24, they're bewildered, they're at a loss. Verse 26, they're fearful. But let's look at the story. Actually, it's a continuation. If, if you just turn back one page into chapter 4, Peter and John, sort of your top two, they've been in prison before. Chapter 4, verse 3. The temple guard and the, the Sadducees, that's sort of the religious elite. Verse 3 of chapter 4, they seized Peter and John and they put them in jail. Uh, chapter 4, over the page again, verse 18. They did let them go, but this is what Peter and John were told by the religious establishment. Chapter 4, 18. 
They called them in again and commanded them, you must not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter said to them then, well, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. That was round one. But here in chapter five, we have round two. I think there's a sense of escalation. So chapter five, verse 18. Now they arrested all of the apostles and put them in the public jail. The motive? Well, we're told it's jealousy. They just can't stand this. They can't stand the fact that the apostles are getting the crowds out and they're not. So they all get arrested. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 18. But, well, God doesn't want that to happen. So verse 19, they arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. So at daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. They keep going back to the temple. That's like the, the center of the city, the most public place. So they were in the temple, they got arrested. You, don't you tell anyone else. You, you, you stop people telling people about Jesus. Very good, we won't. Uh, the next thing we read, they're back in the temple telling people about Jesus. Arrest them all. The next day, they're back in the temple telling people about Jesus. Do you, you see the point? You can't stop them. God doesn't want this message to be stopped. Of course, this religious council, the religious leadership, the Sanhedrin, they don't know this has happened. So no doubt, verse 21, they're feeling right now it's time to sort this out. You can imagine the scene, verse 21, the second half of it. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, that's the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles, bring in the prisoners. Verse 22, but on arriving at the jail, the officers didn't find them there. Ah. So they went back and reported, um, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, there was no one inside. And on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss. What are we going to do? I don't know. What do you think we're going to do? What do you want we're going to do? Well, we're Sadducees. We don't believe in angels. I know. We don't believe in resurrection. I know. It's a bit embarrassing. I know. What are we going to do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? I don't know. You see, you see how Luke is reporting this? They're useless. Until someone comes in and says, uh, boss, uh, they're back in the temple. Once again. Verse uh, 24. Three, verse 25. Someone came in and said, uh, <clears throat> look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching. Oops. They're teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they were scared. They feared the people. So finally, verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest And uh, somewhat despairing, I guess, but they are feeble. So verse 28, oh, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You're determined to make us guilty by this man's blood. We keep telling you don't do it and you keep doing it. Will you stop? No. But you see how Luke is telling this story? They're useless. Please stop. No. 
Really, please stop. No, go to prison and stop. No, we're out again. Uh, They're useless. They've got no power. They think they're in charge. They're not. They're feeble leaders. And so by contrast, we have the apostles. Fearless apostles. Verse 29 to 32. Just look at their attitude and then um, their message. Their attitude, first of all, verse 29. Peter and the other, other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. So you can tell us to stop all you like, but I'm afraid we must obey God rather than you. Now, we need to be clear, of course, this is not a choice often forced upon you and me. And at the New Testament, will be pretty clear. Normally, Christians will submit themselves to the ruling authorities. God has given us government for our good. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. But there is a priority. So you need to hold those two things in tension. So I don't know if we've got 1 Peter 2, uh, for example. Peter writes to Christians, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority or to governors who are sent by the Lord to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. That is the normal state of affairs. You become a Christian, wonderful. And now you obey those in charge of you. Be it your bosses at work, or be it the national government, that's what you do normally. And it almost right alongside that, or just a few verses before, chapter 2, verse 9, he'll say, look, to Christians, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may... Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you never let anything stop you declaring his praises. So you have to hold both of those. Normal life. You obey your boss. You obey the government. Of course, of course. But there will be times, very few times for us, but of course times for Christians across the world and throughout history, where conscientious objection is essential. Believers don't refuse to speak of Jesus. So whatever your political views, and there'll be a pretty wide spectrum in the room, free speech is something all all Christians must care about. The freedom to speak of Jesus Christ. And of course it means you endure contrarian opinions, hostile opinions. Well, that's part of being in a culture which has free speech, but that is what we stand for. At times, it's very costly. I had reason this week to uh, reread bits of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's classic allegory of the, uh, of the Christian life. Uh, and it reminded me, the, um, uh, some of his friends were there when he was on trial, John Bunyan, 1661. He was on trial because he refused to go to the Church of England church because it was uh, his local one because it was rubbish. Uh, And he ran his own services and preached himself. And you weren't allowed to do that. Restoration of the monarchy time in English history. Uh, And so he's on trial for uh, preaching outside of a legitimate place. And one of his friends transcribed the trial. Let me just read it to you. He's a very sympathetic judge, but Bunyan's response... So the judge, Mr. Bunyan, you stand before this court accused of persistent and willful transgression of the Conventicle Act, that's a conventicle act, which prohibits all British subjects conducting worship services 
outside of the Church of England. Bunyan. Yes. It is no secret that I preach the Word of God whenever, wherever, and to whomever God pleases to grant me the opportunity to do so. I affirm, I neither regret breaking the law, nor do I repent of having broken your law. Furthermore, I must warn you, I have every intention of breaking it in the future. Judge, Mr. Bunyan, I do not wish to send you to prison. I am aware of the poverty of your family. Family, I believe you have a little daughter who is born blind. He had four kids and a wife. The decision, therefore, of the court is this. We shall release you on the condition that you swear solemnly to discontinue this practice of publicly preaching. Bunyan, my lord, I greatly appreciate the court's efforts to be, in your words, accommodating. But again, I must refuse your terms. I must repeat, you do not seem to understand. It is my God who constrains me to preach, and no man or company of men may grant or deny me leave to do so. Well, that's very brave. And then he spent 12 years in prison. Now, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, so it was quite a useful 12 years. But a great cost to himself, wife, four children, in poverty. That was then. But around the world, and perhaps in the future, it's an attitude that's required. I won't stop telling people about Jesus Christ. That's the attitude of the apostles. Uh, what is their message? Well, it's, it's the sort of boiled down version. No doubt, uh, we get a lot longer uh, in the, uh, the trial. I have no doubt they would have gone on longer than this before. But you get the essential elements uh, in verse 30. Uh, the essential elements of, of the message they've been preaching all along. You killed Jesus. God raised him. We're witnesses to this fact. It's the same things we get told over and over again in the book of Acts. Verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Here then, the the essential truths of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ died upon a cross. That's a curse to die upon wood for a Jew. And he died to pay a curse that should fall upon you and me for ignoring God. But God raised him to life again. God overturned the verdict of these religious leaders wonderfully. And the witnesses are there. And we can trust them. Two gifts are promised. The same gifts that uh, keep getting recorded in the book of Acts. Forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. Those two, forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. Tangent, verse 32, just in case you're confused by that. The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Not a great translation. It's a present continuous. God has given to those who are obeying him. In other words, their obedience is a sign that they've been given the Spirit. It's just a mark of it. It's, did you see which way around it comes? God gives the Spirit and then they obey. And that's a mark of being given the Spirit. It's not a great translation here. Okay, I take it that just makes sense, doesn't it? For these men to stand up and say, we obey God and not you when on trial for your life, well, that is a sign of God's power at work. 
So the apostles are fearless because God is at work in them by his spirit. And they say, but nothing can stop us telling people about Jesus. It's just too important. So you have the feeble leaders and the fearless apostles. Very briefly, just look at um, this cowardly Gamaliel. He's a slightly confusing character. So I don't want to spend too long on him, but cowardly Gamaliel, verses 33 to 42. When the religious leaders heard this, they were furious and then wanted to put them to death. I'm sure they were furious. Just can't stop them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Uh, And then he addressed them. Well, what are we to make of this man? Some credit Gamaliel for being pragmatic, and that's a sensible thing to do. Perhaps. I think he's a coward. He doesn't actually engage with what the disciples say. But rather, he lumps Jesus together with these two other troublemakers, the term you can read about in the secular histories, Theodos and Judas. You know, they came and they went, and well, let's just wait and see. Time will tell. And you might say, well, it's quite a good strategy, but Gamaliel, what about you? What do you think about Jesus? Leave aside the strategy. What do you think? What do you make of these claims? That he died a curse-bearing death for you, that he's risen again, that he's the Lord of all. What do you make of them, Gamaliel? And we get, we get nothing. So I think he's fairly representative of a typical of the UK population. Well, leave the Christians alone. They're all right. They're do-gooders. Yeah, but what do you make of the claims of Jesus Christ? Well, I don't, don't, don't ask me that. I'm not interested in that. No, no, but what, what do you think? I may be amplifying a little bit, but he reminds me very much of one friend. I keep saying, why not come along to church? And she says, oh, I'm, I'm scared you'll persuade me it's true. Well, look, you're a very bright woman. I can't persuade you to do anything. You know, but I'm scared it might be true, so no. No, no, you, you carry on, you carry on, you carry on. And that's Gamaliel. He speaks truly, I guess you have to say that, perhaps more truly than he realizes in verse 39. If this is from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. Well, that is what they're doing. But the story ends with the apostles again. So we return to these fearless apostles and uh, verse 40. Gamaliel's speech persuaded them. And so the Sanhedrin, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So once again, the, uh, the religious leaders saying, oh, this is your last warning. We're going we're gonna to flog you and flog you. Now you just stop talking about Jesus. We won't. Now go on, you, you go on and stop talking about Jesus. We won't. And the first thing, they're back in the temple, right in the heart of Jerusalem. Because whenever you tell them to stop, they go back to the temple and proclaim this truth to everyone. But I guess for you and me, it may be verse 41 that's the surprising one. They've been arrested, they've been on trial, they've been flogged. And so they walk out with their backs lacerated and torn to bits. And verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. 
because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Oh. Now that may be a little bit more of a surprise. The fact that they keep on going, we, we may be used to that by now, you just can't stop these men from preaching, but rejoicing? Why? Well, we're not told explicitly here, but I think it's because that Jesus had told them this would happen. You could turn to many, many places. But for example, John 15, I don't know if we've got that. Read that if you can. Let me read it to you. Um, John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you thinks that he's serving God or offers God service. One place of many. So I wonder if it is that um, the apostles then, they've been preaching in Jerusalem and thousands have become Christians. And the crowds are desperate to see them. And whenever they walk through the street, it's, John, John, Peter, Peter, come and speak to me. Oh, we want to hear you. And they might be thinking to themselves, you know, Jesus said it was going to be really hard. And it's like, this is like being, you know, Justin Bieber at a concert. Everyone wants to sort of grab us and wants a piece of us and is desperate to have our signature and it's going really, really well. But Jesus said we were going to be persecuted. And so they get they're arrested, they're imprisoned, they're on trial, they're beaten. And no point, no doubt at this point, they said, Ah, oh, okay, this is what Jesus said would happen. Phew, we haven't completely bogged this up. We are genuine believers. This is what Jesus said. Few, we're the real deal. Now, again, perhaps I suggest for you and me, it's quite hard to have the same attitude. I love the realism. Uh, some will know I, this is my. This is, I adore this book, best book of the year. It's the biography of uh, a number of Christians who were in uh, Zimbabwe or Rhodesia, as it was in the seventies, uh, and uh, who get martyred for their faith. Uh, Seventeen in particular get martyred, get butchered by uh, Zanu PF militia in 1978. But uh, early, very early on in the book, the first person you read about getting converted uh, gets beaten up by his friends, uh, gets his face smashed in because they don't like the fact he's become a Christian. And uh, the, the, his Christian minister says to him, oh, isn't it wonderful to suffer for the name of Jesus? And the bloke says, well, your turn next. <laughs> to be honest, no. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased I'm a Christian, but to suffer, mm, that, that ain't so good. And I think that's a sort of more perhaps where you and I might be. There's realism. And of course, we require perspective in the UK in 2017. No one's going to arrest me for preaching this morning. Oh, if you had been arrested for preaching in the street in the last few years and had to stand trial for that, But I guess for most of us, the worst we expect is ridicule, if you're a Christian, exclusion. But you read your New Testament, and perhaps, look at our culture, I can't tell that. But if you are a Christian here this morning, you do realize the time may well come when your faith is costly to you, and you might lose your job. A time may come when certain organizations get put out of business because faithful Christianity becomes incompatible with the dogma, the moral vision, the laws of the land. And so this would say, you are ready for that, aren't you? That is not abnormal Christianity. 
these apostles rejoiced when they experienced this because they said, oh yeah, Jesus told us it would be so. But still you might say to rejoice, that is unusual perhaps. How do they do so? How do they keep going? In fact, for you and me, if we ever knew anything like this, why would we rejoice or even just even keep going as Christians? And in the end, I think you have to say, because the message is just so wonderful. I guess it gets summarized as the angel tells them in chapter 5, verse 20. Tell the people about this new life. And these apostles had it that they were clear in their minds that this new life, forgiveness, the promise of the Holy Spirit, that was worth far more than their physical welfare. They put these things in in a a sort of old-fashioned pair of kitchen scales and said, well, there's our physical welfare, perhaps our lives, or there's this extraordinary message of new life that lasts forever. And telling people about that, well, that's more important. It's just far more significant. It weighs more. It's heavier. It's more substantial. And so, okay, we'll keep on going with this. But for most of us here, we don't do that sum or aren't forced into that sum of weighing it up. I was shocked last night to hear that a friend from university, his wife died yesterday in her early 40s. Three days ago, she was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Three days warning, dead. Now, wonderfully, they're a Christian family. They know new life in Jesus. They expect to see her again. But of course, he, children, wow, devastating. Yesterday and today. But he's a TV presenter. He's not super vocal about his Christian faith. That's quite hard, I think, in that world. But of course, his tweets since her death, pray. He's pretty out there. All of a sudden, I guess, subconsciously, he just thinks, do you know what? New life in Jesus Christ matters. And everything else, well, it's just fleeting. And it goes. So to tell people about this, well, that's, that's worth doing. Knowing a message of new life in Jesus Christ that lasts forever, it can give you a boldness that renders even the most intimidating of committees, authorities, states, feeble. He once says, the central event of this book uh, of uh, 1970s Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. Um, In 1978, then, uh, a load of Western missionaries are butchered, as I say, by uh, ZANU-PF militia. They're they're led. uh, uh, One Western missionary escapes. It's this guy's dad. Uh, uh, manages uh, to escape, Peter Griffiths. Um, so it's reported that the leader of the militia is a man who calls himself Devil Hondo. Two years later, he becomes a Christian. It's very wonderful. It's extraordinary. This brutal, brutal man who killed all these others becomes a Christian and says, yeah, I did this under orders from uh, my superiors in ZANU-PF. That doesn't make him very popular with the government in 1980, when Zimbabwe is formed. And he's standing up and saying, yeah, I was told to do this. I was told to butcher all the... And uh, you can read it all in here. Uh, the Foreign Office in the UK says, shh, 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 
don't make a fuss. We might have some stability right now. Um, but he goes, travels around the country, preaching the gospel. He's hated by old Western police force for what he's done. He's hated by ZANU-PF because he's an embarrassment to them, revealing what they've been like. And he just preaches the gospel, preaches the gospel. This man called Devil Hondo, he renames himself. He takes a sensible name, Garakai. And everywhere he goes, he fears for his life. In the end, 10 years later, he does have to flee the country when there's a very direct threat. But for 10 years, he just carries on preaching, preaching, preaching boldly. Because he says, I must obey God rather than men. I have a message of new life. I've been forgiven for the most brutal of crimes. Isn't that extraordinary? You could be forgiven for whatever you've done wrong. Isn't it wonderful? I just can't stop telling people about this. Oh, you might kill me for telling you, but, but you just got to know, he says. That sort of boldness, God's people, proclaiming the word of God in his spirit's power. Well, no matter how intimidating people may be, they are powerless And Christians are that bold. Let's pray together. Hi, great God and Father. These sort of events, these Christians being on trial... Uh, being beaten and tortured. They seem a long, long way away from where we are in 2017. And for that, we give you great thanks. And yet their boldness is a wonder to us. And as we look down through the centuries and across the world, the boldness of Christians to stand up and proclaim the wonderful message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, a message of eternal life that lasts forever, their boldness, their willingness to forego comfort, indeed even their lives, is a wonder to behold. And Father, we pray we, 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 you would give us such a concern for the honour of your name, such a concern that those around us, that some here this morning would Repent for their sins, no forgiveness through Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life. Father, help us bold in sharing that message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.